Good morning, Village Bible Church. My name is Jared Wensloff, and I have grown up in this church, and it is my privilege and honor to be presenting the Word of God to you this morning. Um, today, we will be looking at John 3:16 through 21. And the title of the message is The Not-So-Cliché Gospel. And the reason I thought of that was because as I look at John 3:16, I... A lot of us know it, and a lot, some of us who grew up in the church are pretty familiar with it. And even if not, we've seen it on billboards or at football games. Guys hoist it up while that, your team's trying to kick the winning field goal, you know. And it's just everywhere. And so, I remember going to the Iwana program here at this church, and I memorized this verse, and I could repeat it to you whenever you told me, whenever you wanted me to repeat it to you. And it's just, it's always been on my mind. But sometimes we don't let the message of this verse change us. And this is the most clear and concise definition of the gospel found in the scriptures, John 3.16. And it just has become so stale to us. It's just a cliche. It's It's meaningless. It doesn't affect our lives. Just this past April, I remember when former tight end Aaron Hernandez uh, wrote on his forehead John 3.16 in red ink moments before he ended his life in prison. Uh, I also think of the man who started the movement to raise John 3.16 at football games behind the goalpost, and his name was Roland Stewart. Roland Stewart. He, He was known as Rainbow Man. He was a crazy fan. He he would he wore rainbow wigs and he always tried to get as close to the camera as possible and go nuts and one day he started bringing his John 3:16 poster and he would try to get as close to the camera as possible and growl and wave this poster trying to spread the message that of John 3:16 but the problem was that later his fame would come to a crashing halt and he would no longer be seen at sporting events because he, decide, he thought the world was going to end in six days. So he went on a violent rampage, kidnapped three people, held them hostage, had an eight-hour standoff with police, threatened to blow up nearby airplanes in the sky. It was just a mess. Uh, he was later convicted of three li- for three life sentences in prison. So he's, and I ask myself, these two men who had John 3.16, they didn't understand what it meant. They didn't know the significance of it. And I have to ask myself, are we like this? For a verse that is so familiar and the most concise definition of the gospel, it seems to have no weight in our lives and doesn't bring about life change. How do we truly understand the gospel and let that bring about a change in our lives? That's what we're going to find out today in this passage. So please pray with me before we continue. Father God, I come to you right now and I pray that you would speak through me and that your Holy Spirit would work in people's lives today. Use me for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we are to fully comprehend the richness of the gospel and God's amazing love for us, first, we must understand our condition. Understand our condition. I think of Hurricane Harvey now, as a lot of us are, as I look on the Facebook and all over the news, there's countless articles about stories about people, and I see the devastation of 40-plus lives being taken and, how, and countless homes being destroyed. And I, and I ask myself, why couldn't they do some more things to maybe prevent this from happening? So much damage. And I, and I was kind of looking at that, and they, can, you know, they didn't order a mass evacuation because that would have been chaos, to try to do that. And the thing is, with one of these storms, is it's so big and so unpredictable. They, they didn't know how much rain exactly they would get in each different location, so they couldn't even do evacuations of certain areas because they didn't know which ones would be hit the hardest. They didn't know how the flooding would, would, uh, how the flooding would happen across Texas and what towns would be, more, would be hit harder than others. It was just hard for them to understand. And we need to, if they could understand the effects of the storm, they could have done some preventative things. But just like that, we need to understand our own human condition and how it affects us before it's too late. We have to ask, why did God send his son to save the world? Why did we need saving is the question. The first thing we are we are depraved. We are lost in darkness. This is, depraved is a word for wicked. It means wicked and completely and utterly wicked. We are, that's all we are, wicked. Now, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And ever since man has been corrupted, we are all lost in sin. There is absolutely no good in each of us. We can try to cover up our bad things with our good works, but that will never be enough. Charles Spurgeon, a famous theologian, once said, There is no beast in wolf or lion or serpent that is so brutish as the beast in man. And if you don't believe that, we can look at the Bible and we can see that the depravity of man has done some terrible things. We can look at Sodom and Gomorrah and we saw that God deemed it necessary to burn the city with fire and sulfur because of their sins. In Judges 19, all, the whole book of Judges actually, there is a lot of people doing, their, uh, doing the things that were right in their own eyes. And in Judges 19 specifically, there's a story about a Levite who's being visited by men, and these men in the city come up and bang on the door and say, send out your guests that we may sexually assault them. And he's like, no, 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 you can't, you can't have my guests, but here's the concubine I have, and he throws her out there, and she is, she is assaulted and killed violently, and then she is cut up into 12 pieces and sent to the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a messed up story. There's other stories all throughout human history child sacrifice, wars that waged on for no, seemed like no reason, lives that have been lost, genocide. Even now, we look in the world, we see the terrorism, we see hatred against certain races, and we see injustice everywhere. 
But it's not just others, by the way. We can think that. We can think that, oh, I'm not, I'm fine, but it's all these other people in the world that are just so messed up. Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 3.23 says, for all, sorry, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fell through Adam. Adam sinned and we inherited that original sin. But it's not also that. It's also that we choose to sin every day. We fall. We fail. And that we are also condemned by. It's not just others. It's each of us have that in us. We are not capable of being good. Even the good things we do are like filthy rags, as Isaiah 64, 6 says. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Some of us think that we can just do good works and get our way back to God, but that's like me. I Say I hold the competition. I say, all right, I'm going to give you a million-dollar reward if someone can touch the top of the Sears Tower, and I line everyone up, right? And, and then someone like me is going to come up and all confident that I can do it, and I'm going to jump up and get not more than one foot off the ground. And, uh, okay, and then here comes LeBron James, though. He's coming up, and he jumps. He gets farther than me, but he's still not even close. That's what it's like to try to reach perfection, being human. Not only are we depraved, but we are determined. It says in verse 19 of John 3, Jesus says, People loved the darkness rather than the light. The darkness here is a figurative darkness. It's a godlessness and immorality. Uh, A lot of us are scared of the dark, and that's because we associate darkness and absence of light with evil. And and uh, Jesus is talking about that here. We're all lost and blind to the things that are that are, are true in the darkness. Not only do we sin and fall short of the glory of God, but we delight in the evil we do. We delight in every single evil action we make. Mark Twain once said, there is a charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. Adam and Eve saw the forbidden fruit and wanted it just because. They thought they would delight in it. They thought they would get something from it. They thought they needed it. We delight in evil. We, we sin because we love it. We, sin, we don't sin because we have to. We sin because we want to. Fill in the blank. What is it for you? Sexual immorality, overeating, lying, gossip. It's all sin, and we all delight in doing it. That's why we do it. We know ourselves. What is that one thing that you delight in? That every time you do it, you just you love to do it, and you can't stop doing it. We would have it no other way. We love the darkness. We didn't want to be saved from this. We wanted to continue to live in our sin because we loved it. And because of that, we are doomed. We are doomed. That's the third point there in your notes. We are doomed. Verse 18 says, But whoever does not believe is condemned already. In our sins we are going to perish. And that is, condemned is like... We are dead. 
and we are separated from God in everlasting torment on the way to hell. Matthew 13, 41 through 42 says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This place is real, no matter what the world may say. Some people say it's just figurative, or hell isn't real, and this earth is hell. But if we look at the Bible and what Jesus says here, hell is very real. Condemnation is real, and it's coming for us. Because we are depraved, determined, and doomed, there's no other option for us. God's qualifications for eternal life is far too lofty for our resume. There is nothing we can do to get out of eternal judgment, and this is why God needed to save us, because we cannot save ourselves. This is why God sent his Son into the world. This is why God sent his son into the world, because we couldn't save ourselves. And he knew that. He knew we couldn't save ourselves. It's like us trying to touch the top of the Sears Tower. We can't do it. And God knew it. God knew we couldn't save ourselves. So that's why he sent Jesus. If we are to fully comprehend the richness of the gospel and God's amazing love for us, first we must understand our condition, and secondly, we must examine Christ's charge. We must examine Christ's charge. Now, I often say the phrase, I had one job, or I, or I tell people, you had one job, right? At school, I did have one job. It was a, there was this class, and there was a paper due at 4 p.m. on a Monday. It was a big paper. It was worth a big percentage of my grade, and I kind of waited to the last minute to print it off. Never do that, by the way. Never wait till the last minute. And I, I'm like, okay. I have like 20 minutes here. I'm going to start printing this document. I plug it up into the printer. I hit print. And then a couple pages come out, and then it jams up, and the ink runs out. No, it just jams up, and there's an error. I'm like, oh, no. It won't work. I'm trying everything. And I run across the hall to this other guy's room, and his printer isn't working. And then I run across, and this other printer, someone else is using it, and I'm just going to a mass panic. And I soon learned that there's no way I'm going to get this paper turned in. And this professor was very strict about his work being due on time. So I'm sitting there in my chair watching the clock tick, 3.59, 4, 4.01. Okay, and then my paper prints. Okay, whatever. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'll try to email the professor to try to get half credit or full credit or something. So I email him and... We're emailing back like eight, nine times. I was very determined to get this, get some credit for this work. And he, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reason with him. He, the, he ends the conversation with sending one, one phrase. He says, you here have more than a printer problem. Okay, well, I have more than a printer problem. But I had one job. I had one job. It was to print a paper. I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even print a paper. Christ was charged with much more, a more important task than printing a paper. Uh, He was charged with an amazing mission. Let's examine his mission. First of all, he was sent. Christ was sent. Christ was sent by the Father from heaven to this broken earth. Some passages use the phrase, some versions of the scripture use the phrase only begotten son. And that's a lot of the phrasing we grew up learning 
And only begotten doesn't mean that Jesus was created. Jesus was not created by the Father. What only begotten means is that he was unique and something so special. And that's what only begotten here means, that Jesus was something out of the ordinary, something so amazing that he was sent to this earth. John 1, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see earlier in the book, John is saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is God. God the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, to this world. And with that, we kind of need to understand what, what that means, and we kind of get, have to kind of get a grasp at the Trinity here. But God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father sent God the Son down to earth. And in John, we see this time and time again, Jesus talking about him submitting to the Father and coming down to earth. In John seven sixteen, he says, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but is his who sent me. John twelve forty nine says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. First John four fourteen, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be Savior of the world. John five and John eight have other examples of this. And all throughout John, John talks about Jesus saying that he was submitting to the Father's will and that he was sent to this earth on a mission. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this in mind among, in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took on flesh. Jesus was sent down to this earth on a mission. Jesus Christ was in the highest place of of authority. He was at the right hand of the Father, and the Father said, sent him down to this earth on a mission, and he submitted to the Father's will, and he willingly came down to, uh, to this earth on a mission. The God of the universe, the one who crafted you and me in our mother's wombs, came down at, not as a king, not as a, not as a warrior, but as a servant, as a boy born of poor Jewish, a poor Jewish family. Christ was sent as a light into the darkness. Christ con- John used a lot of contrast here with light and dark. Jesus is the light that came into this dark world. Darkness was godlessness and immorality, but the light John is talking about is pure and holy and nothing like it. And Jesus is that. And Jesus came down into this earth not with a big flash of light, but as a little dim light that lit in the darkness that would soon consume the darkness. That's Jesus. As a kid, I remember playing a game with my siblings, hide and go seek in the dark, and we'd turn off all the lights, and, you know, I, would, I was it, and I had to walk around and try to find them, you know, waving my hands around, not knowing where anything is. 
And I remember one time a pole just snuck right in between my hands as I'm walking around. Bang! You know, that ended the game real quick there. But, yeah, it's just like we were lost without hope in this dark, godless world. There was no hope. And Christ came onto the scene as a light. But what was Christ sent to do? Let's continue to look. He was sent as a sacrifice. As a sacrifice. In verse 16 of John 3, Jesus says that he gave his only son. He gave. Now the gave here is twofold. Not, twofold. Not only did God give his son to come down to earth in the incarnation, but God also gave his son up to death. This is what Christ came for. He healed, he loved, he taught. All he ever did was good things for people, and he was led to death. He was betrayed by his closest friends in an unfair trial. He was condemned to hang on a cross, which was a criminal's death. Even though he had done nothing wrong his whole life and lived a perfect life, Jesus says in John fifteen thirteen that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ came to die and give up his life. Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends, led to the cross and killed, and was dead there for three days. But he didn't stay there. He ultimately came to be Savior. He came to be Savior. He was sent as a sacrifice ultimately to be Savior. Ultimately to be Savior. Christ then rose to life to defeat death once and for all. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. That Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was resurrected. That's the gospel. And if you believe in him and put your hope and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will have new life. That's the gospel. And I get so frustrated when people, when people say they love Jesus, but they, don't, they could not give me a definition of the gospel, and they don't understand what Jesus has done for them. That's the gospel, that Jesus died and was resurrected. That's the gospel. And we need to understand that. We can't let that become stale in our lives. All we have to do is believe and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. He took all the bad things you've ever done and died for them so you wouldn't have to. It says here in the passage, Jesus uses the word whoever quite a few times. And for God so loved the world. Now this was a, it says whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus. This was a shock to the Jewish culture because they always thought that Jesus just came to save the Jews. And they did not understand how... And Jesus was always hated in his ministry when he served people who weren't Jews, when he served the Gentiles, when he served the Samaritans. People hated him. And people... That's why a lot of people wanted to kill him because he would say, I came to preach gospel to everyone. And he, people would hate him, and they would say, no, Jesus, the Messiah is just here to save the Jews, not everyone. But they didn't understand God. 
God, all throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, was all about saving the, the nations. If you look at Jonah, Jonah, didn't, Jonah was called to go preach to the Ninevites. And Jews hated Ninevites. The Hebrew people hated the Ninevites, and they were evil. But God wanted Jonah to go preach to them. And he refused, and he refused because he was so racist in thinking that God was just for the Jews. And he didn't understand God's mission was for everyone. Whoever believes in the gospel. This is such a, a huge truth. And, and I get so frustrated when people say, who claim to be Christians are out there saying that one race is better than another. Especially nowadays, I, I look around and I, that's not the gospel. That's garbage. That is not the gospel. You cannot say that just because of the color of your skin, you are better than another person. That's not the gospel. That's complete garbage. That's not from God. God cares about all people. It doesn't matter what race you are, what gender you are, what your ba- or what your background is. You can accept the gospel. Uh, it's for you. It's not exclusive. Jesus uses the word whoever quite a few times. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Verse 16 Verse 17 of John 3, excuse me, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not come, Jesus did not come down to condemn. And a lot of us think that God is out to get us. And that God's always trying to stop us from, I don't know, having fun or anything. But Jesus isn't out to get you. Jesus didn't come down to condemn you. Jesus came down to save you from your sins. If look at verse, well, Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God, Jesus willingly laid down his life to save us from our sins. He knew we were doomed without hope, and he willingly laid down his life for us so we could be saved. God came to save us from ourselves, from our sin, and from this darkness that surrounded the whole world and all of existence. It is his grace gift. Jesus was God's grace gift to this world. Nothing you do can deserve. You can't deserve righteousness. You don't deserve it. And a lot of people say, I'm just not good enough to come to Jesus. You're right, but none of us are good enough to come to Jesus. None of us are really good. We don't feel good enough to come to Jesus, but he still calls us to himself. And I don't understand why Jesus would die for me, but he did. And he called me to himself. And that's what we have to understand. It's, we come to him not because we deserve it, but because he has graciously given us salvation. He is also the only way to heaven. If we look in verse 18 of John 3, Jesus says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's this story of, well, when I was in high school, I was at a Bible study in my school, and we were talking about Jesus and 
the leader was talking about how Jesus was the only way to heaven. And one girl raised her hand in the front row and said, I know you probably don't know the answer to this question, but you say you have to believe in Jesus and that's the, he's the only way, but what about the good people? What about the good people in the world? And that's a question a lot of us have. What about the good people? What about the good people? You know? But right here, Jesus says that if you do not believe in the name of Jesus, you are already condemned. That he is the only way to heaven. John 14.6 says he is the way, the truth, and the life. That there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And in, in this world, if you say that, you are going to get bombarded from every direction with people calling you a bigot and saying that you, saying, how can you say that? You know, truth is whatever's true to you, but this is what we believe. This is the gospel, that Jesus is the, the only way to heaven. That believing in Jesus Christ to be your Savior is the only way to heaven. And it's hard to think that. It's just like, he, yeah, he's the only way. It's, it's the reality of it. He came to save us because in darkness we were doomed to eternal death. But Jesus saved us. And how amazing it is that, that he did so. And I'm blown away each and every day that Jesus would give his life up for me. And that he gave his life up for you. And that it doesn't matter who you are, you can come to him and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And be resurrected in new life. But now, if we are to fully comprehend the richness of the gospel and God's amazing love for us, thirdly, we must make a choice. We must make a choice. One time I had a difficult choice to make. Uh, I was walking when I went to, in Chicago when I was going to school, I would walk down the street. Me and two buddies were walking down the street to go get some food late at night, and we were about to walk into the McDonald's there, and we, I see this guy, and he's kind of, he's with his so-called girlfriend or whatever, and he's touching her and making her, she does not want whatever this guy is giving to her, right? Right outside of the McDonald's, and he's touching her, and she doesn't want any of it. She's trying to push him away and punch him, and he just, he just keeps doing what he's doing. And I, and I look at that, and I get so angry, and I make the choice to, you know, go up and tell him my mind. And I go up to him, and I say, Hey! That's all that came out in that moment. <laughs> the adrenaline was pumping, and I was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And I go up and say, hey. And, I was like, oh. and then this other guy, all five of these guys that are around there start looking at me. And this one big guy comes around. He's like probably 350, 350 pounds, and he walks up to me and says, this guy can do whatever he wants to this girl. Don't you dare tell him what to do, you know. And I'm terrified. Uh, and I, didn't, I couldn't say anything else. But I made the decision to stand up for her right there. And even though hay just came out, uh, it broke it up and they, they left. And uh, that's the choice I had to make. But this choice is about life or death that we face. What will you choose, life or death? We can either first reap condemnation. 
in John 3, verses 19 through 20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. When we are reaping condemnation, our lives are characterized by wicked works. When we choose to reject the message of the gospel, we will live a life doing wicked works. If you are living, you will be living in complete sin and rebellion to God. You will love your sin too much, and you will serve it like it's your master. We are reaping condemnation also while being in, when we are reaping condemnation, we are also enslaved to darkness. We are enslaved to darkness. You will not, you will only ever do evil if you reject the message of the gospel. You can't do good and you will be enslaved to your sin and it will be your master and every chance to gratify your sinful desires, you will do so when you reject the message of the gospel. You will also be filled with shame. Filled with shame. And you will not come to Christ because stepping into the light would mean that your darkness and evil would be exposed to the whole world. So you choose to live. You don't want to be shamed, so you choose to live in your sin. Also, you will be filled with ultimate shame forever as you spend an eternity apart from God in hell. That's when you will experience ultimate shame if you reject the message of the gospel. But thank the Lord that's not the only option that he's given us. We can also receive eternal life. Receive eternal life. This decision is made by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and living in his lordship. Verse 21 says, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. When we receive eternal life, we are doing true works. We are doing true works. Your life reflects the gospel. Christ is working in you, allowing you to do good works. He is giving you the whole, he has given you the Holy Spirit, regenerating you, and you can now, and he's given you the fruits of the Spirit, and you can start to do good works. You can do things, God will, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do things like James one twenty seven, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Only through Christ can we do true and good works. Only in Christ. And that's when we receive eternal life. He starts to work in us. We will also be experiencing light. We will be experiencing light. When we come to Christ, when we receive the message of the gospel, we are filled with with life again. We are filled with this light of the gospel. It's no longer darkness that consumes our life anymore. It's Jesus' light. We are, ha- we are joyful once again. We are reaching out and sharing with our friends and our family and our co-workers and our neighbors about the message of Jesus Christ and how he saved us from death, 
how he's given us new life. We're living in light when we receive the message of the gospel. We experience true joy and peace in Christ in the midst of the darkness of this world. We have hope and joy in Christ. We will also be focusing on life change. Focusing on life change. When we step into the light, we show the world what God has done for us. We show the world that it's no longer about the bad things we've done in our past, but it's about Christ's work in us. And we rejoice in the fact that Jesus is always sanctifying us. And we rejoice in the fact that he has given us the message of the gospel and that we have received it. All this work is done by God. All this work is done by God, receiving the message of the gospel, letting it penetrate your life, having it live out, living it out. That's all God working in you. And we praise God for that. We praise God for allowing him to work in our lives and allowing us to experience his light and allowing us to experience Christ. The choice is yours. Reject Christ or receive Christ. The choice is yours. This is the gospel. Don't let the gospel become stale, causing no life change at all, just like Roland Stewart and Aaron Hernandez. Don't let it become cliche in your life. Let, it, let the gospel change you each and every day. Let it penetrate your life. Let it truly work in you. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day. We need to tell ourselves that Jesus has died for our sins and that we live in newness of life now. Every day we need to do that. Some people don't let the gospel affect them, but I pray that we would that we would let the gospel penetrate each and every area of our lives and that Christ would show himself to us.